You have to have a heart for working for the public. Welcome to the Scenic View podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Owens, Communications Director here at Scenic. And with me is Scenic Executive Director, Artis Watkins. <laughs> I am. I'm somewhat here. It's morning. so <laughs> I didn't mean to call myself the host there. I think I gave well, myself are. a promotion. So. You are the host of this podcast, <laughs> and you've done an excellent job of it. So our last interview with, a, with a, an employee was uh, Wendell Powell, who came in and spoke about the correctional shortages we're having and seemed yes. to be very well received. Yeah. Wendell, of course, being a captain at Harnett Correctional, sees, you know, he's seen it all. And he's a supervisor dealing with the staff vacancy crisis in prisons. And I think as hard as it is to hear what it's like to work in a prison and especially to try to manage and have a full staff working in a prison, it's really important. And that people hear it. So I'm thankful he came and yeah. shared with us. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've been impressed with Wendell, not only in his role, you know, in his job, but also with Scenic, that he he's very involved in Scenic. He's a first vice president. And, you know, I'm sure he's working 50, 60 hours at the prison and then coming here to work as well. And it, it's really admirable. Yeah. Very proud of very proud of Wendell. And, you know, we run a, we run into this, though, for for anybody listening. Scenic has so many committee internal committees that do the the work. The members really decide where our agenda is heading. And we have committees that do that work. And we had a member on a committee just last week, had come, worked all night in a prison, had pulled her 12-hour shift, drove 73 miles here for the committee meeting. The committee went long that day and mm-hmm. went into late in the afternoon. But she was committed not just to her job and to showing up because there's yeah. not enough people there, but committed to trying to keep her commitments to mm-hmm. her to her coworkers, her fellow public employees. And I'm just really I, I was kind of taken with that. And yeah. I, sometimes you forget the commitment, but it's there among our members. And I'm yeah. really proud, really proud. I, yeah, I think that's always been pretty eye-opening for me. I don't know that I would do that for my—I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's a very big commitment. commitment. Yeah. And, but we've got commitment being modeled from the very top of our organization, I think, mm-hmm. so in terms of our president and our other officers. They are—they're yeah. committed. Well, I'll switch topics a little bit. This is one of maybe one of your more exciting times of the year. The election season is coming around. Very excited, everybody. Don't forget, the primary election is March 5th, but the early voting— goes from February 15th until March 2nd. So you have plenty of time to cast that early vote. If you don't do it, though, make sure you get in there on March the 5th. And if you've sent your ballot in otherwise, then you're covered. But make sure you vote because what public employees do is critical. But having the right political leaders is even more critical because the policies can't be right if the leaders aren't right. Yeah. And Scenic has an amazing track record of turning out the vote. I think last time we mm-hmm. were, what, 93 percent of our registered voters? Or it yes, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, normally, first of all, Scenic has an extraordinary number of members who are registered to vote. It's just ridiculous. We blow it out of the water. And then the ones of those who are registered pretty much vote. It's just it's part of who we are as an organization. And it's awesome. Yeah, I think there's maybe there's a little more sense of duty to vote. I think that if your your job depends so much on politics that maybe you're more a little, a little more involved or at least a little more educated on what the policies, how they will affect you and who who is elected. So maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the hope. That's the goal. And mm-hmm. so, you know, our, our political action committee tries to make sure our members know the issues and then make their own decisions. But they definitely need to know who's there, who's there with state employees, who's there with public employees on the issues. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so we have one of those leaders joining us this week, the big leader, the president. The, I was going to say the leader, right? Yeah, he's uh, met Kirk five or six years ago, I guess, at convention. Always been pretty impressed with him. Yeah, I'm Kirk is a very level-headed, uh, committed. Again, the word committed just keeps coming to mind. He's committed to seeing it. Yeah, and I th- I think his interview was uh, not, to, not to steal his thunder there or anything, but... <laughs> But I, I, I like. I, I thought it was very interesting his his involvement in the COVID state lab work. His his public service story is definitely interesting, and you know everybody's is at the end of the day. But his is he's been a little bit of everywhere being in IT. Yeah. So he's he's not just a, a niche person in one agency. He's seen a little bit of everything, and it makes for makes for a good story. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy an interview with Kirk, and we'll be back at the end for a little little question and answer time. So joining us today, Kurt Montgomery, the president of Scenic, Ooh. is here today with us. <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you, John. Welcome, Mr. President. President's in the house. So, Kurt, how's, how are things going in Mebane, North Carolina? They're going great. As many people have heard and seen, you know, there's a big deal happening with Bucky's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, y'all are on the map. <laughs> oh, Artis is from Texas, so she's been to Bucky's. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. We're all about Bucky's down in Texas. <laughs> But apparently we're going to be all about it in Mebane. But uh, before we even mention that, let's back up a minute because President Montgomery, the listeners, some of them may not know your history in public service. Okay. Just to kind of give you an overview, overview, I started at the University of North Carolina in 1996. I knew uh, I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've had, I've worked through multiple disciplines, mostly in IT. I worked for the Department of Health and Human Services in the Bioterrorism Unit. I also worked at the North Carolina Department of Environmental and Natural Resources, DANER, who was what it was called mm-hmm. when I was there in the IT capacity as far as being the IT infrastructure manager at that time and also dealing with the Basin Wide Information Management System. I also worked at the state IT level where I was actually a project manager and doing document management systems. And that was a a good experience as well. So all in all, you know, I've been around the state, went back to UNC, worked there for for several years. And then also I worked at the state lab in Mm. Raleigh. And I was the laboratory information management systems manager at that time. And uh, I remember that, President Montgomery, because COVID (laughs) started while you were in that job and you were getting like, we were at a conference or something. He was getting super secret phone calls. But <laughs> yes, uh, uh, at that time, you know, we actually had to set up the test to actually go through and, and process the COVID testing. And it, it was kind of funny because I, I had another job opportunity that came to me where I'm at now at the city of Mebane to where I'm the IT director. But it was in my heart to stay there until we finished that process of getting the system set up and ready to go. And so, you know, we went through that processing and got the system up so that we could do COVID testing at that time. And also, so what it does is that we can get all the information that comes from the health departments and also from the hospitals to the state lab and then run those tests and then publish the results back to those departments. And, you know, I remember at the time thinking, OK, if I think about a disease that we're having to deal with, I think about scientists, medical professionals. I never thought about the IT professionals that had to be involved for the work of those scientists and physicians and epidemiologists to have a place to be organized and and handed to the public. Is that something that you you find often when you talk to people, they really don't understand 
They don't. They don't understand that. You know, most of the time when you go into a doctor's office and you get a test, you just think that maybe it'll go to LabCorp or go somewhere else and then you just get the results. But there's a lot of detail as far as integrating the systems inside of IT that allow for those test results and stuff to be populated and sent back out to all the different areas. And so it, it's a very detailed process. It was it was a lot of information. We had developers working with us, you know, infrastructure people as far as ensuring that the system can't go down to where we can actually have replication to another site. It, it's a lot that entails that we have to work with the with the management and the and the doctors and the scientists and so forth to ensure that the data is accurate and that all the um, items that are addressed are populated in the system the way it should be. I'm trying not to go into technical details because you I can't help it. People. You really can't even help it. It's no. IT. They're very technical. Did you grow up in Mebane or did you? No, actually, I grew up in a small town called Tabor City. North oh, Carolina. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. on the way to the beach. Yep. You there. And, and so, <laughs> and so, what happened was when when I got the job offer here at UNC, I lived in Chapel Hill for a few years, and then my wife and I moved to Mebane, and so we purchased a house in Mebane, and never thought, you know, it would be the case that one day I'll be the IT director for for Mebane, <laughs> but you never know what the Lord has in place for that's you. A, so that's a really neat little town. I've been there. I mean, it's not even little anymore. It's, oh, no, it's Mebane's really exploding, yeah. which yeah. takes us back to the Bucky's issue. <laughs> so you went from COVID and playing a critical role in the public getting knowledge of what was happening with a disease. And now you played a very critical role that people would never know somebody had to do to make sure the public had complete transparency and openness of these meetings about a really controversial and huge topic. And just to kind of iterate on that, COVID is actually what created that because the city did not have live meetings. They were oh. not streaming their meetings. Mm-hmm. And so when COVID hit, we had to have a way to actually have things put in place to where people can actually attend the meetings through Zoom or through other yeah. items to address that. And so that's that was the process that started me with setting up the council chambers, getting the cameras and stuff put in place, getting all the equipment laid out to where we can actually do live streaming. And once we kicked it off through the process, when COVID happened, it's been continuous since then. And people do not want it to go away. Well, because, how many people got on during the Bucky's thing? It was uh, extraordinary, wasn't it? I'm trying to think. I think... Mm, <laughs> you would. I can't remember the number, but it was it was in the thousands. Yeah, wow. It was in the thousands for a city council meeting. Yes. Did you find that people were on the like? Was it fifty fifty split, or were there a lot of people against it, or for us, or just to let you know, you know, we had the planning meeting. Yeah. And and the planning board kind of went through the process of they didn't think that it was a good fit for Mebane at that time, and so most of the individuals that were there were against it. Mm-hmm. But whenever we had the city council meeting, it was more so probably about sixty forty where people were for it. A lot of people we you know we had that, that showed up were actually from out of town, not in, included in Mebane, and they had their own insights as far as, you know, economic development and things of that nature. But it was it was a great opportunity. And I think, you know, the city council pushed things through. And I think it was a, it's going to be a great asset to the people of North Carolina as well as Mebane. Yeah, I've been to several Bucky's. I travel a lot all through the South with my son with baseball. We went to Alabama last year, and I went to three different Bucky's on the way up there. <laughs> Collecting everyone, t-shirts. Yeah, everyone has their own little t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I expect to see a Bucky's Mebane shirt. This segment sponsored, but not really. Bucky's didn't sponsor it, but you kind of would think they did. Yeah, right. But for what it's worth, I will stop and get a brisket sandwich. Oh, there's a brisket taco too. You got okay. Yes. 
I do like the restrooms there. We'll, we'll try to keep the restroom talk on this podcast down to a minimum. But, you know, it's a vital public service as well to talk about the best restrooms. But, yeah, I, I think it's so important to know what so, we talked last week about some jobs in state government people don't think about. And, you know, unfortunately, even though IT is so huge and nothing can happen without it, as we well know around this office, we don't think about it. And so, you know, thank you for sharing with us how that played out in local government in a way that the entire state was interested in. All the political media was covering it and everything else. I mean, this was one of the biggest things to happen in a long time. As far as the state's IT, I've always been kind of confused at how there's an IT department, but there's also an IT department for each agency. Can you, any, any way you can explain that? In each agency, you have interdepartmental applications and and systems, you know, help desk and so forth. And so you have the side of the different departments or divisions. You have IT there to manage the day-to-day activities. But overall, as far as like uh, the servers and things of that nature, that's hosted by the state IT. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that the departments actually go through and work with state IT for their networking, for their servers, so that they can have a way to have all their applications and stuff online. And then that it's backed up and it's replicated. Yeah. to, I think it's Asheville is the other site that they have. So they have one at Wake Forest Road here, the, uh, mm-hmm. the main data center. And then you actually have one that's in Asheville that's backed up. So if we ever have, you know, a national disaster or something like, well, not that, but a disaster yeah. in this area that we will be able to actually have the systems pulled up online. But in each department, as I stated, it's more so, you know, you have day to day, you have people who may have issues with their with their computer systems. But I mean, it's uh, IT is essential to every department in state government. And, you know, state IT is the one that helps facilitate the network infrastructure to where they have Internet, things of that nature, and the services and stuff that are provided by them. They also have major ERP applications that each division can actually go to and actually utilize those similar to like with Beacon and so forth. Okay. When I was working for um, state IT, we had a document management system called Documentum. And so that was an offering to the different divisions to where they didn't have to have a document management system in-house. They could just utilize the one and purchase licenses and stuff there. So so you can save a lot of state money depending on how these programs are run, it sounds like. Correct. And and that's one of the things. They, they consolidated a lot of the IT departments. Even some of the people who are inside of the different departments now report back to the Department of, of IT, DIT. Yeah. And so that was something that was happening when I left state government. And I know they've done a lot, of, a lot more consolidation, but those people may be a part of the big overall IT department, but they're still specified just for that particular department itself. So let's talk a little bit about your involvement in Scenic specifically. You, when did you join? Were you? When I was at UNC back in the day, I went to orientation. They gave me an application. They say, sign this. <laughs> sign this like, and one day you'll be president of the organization. I was like, okay, what does it do? Well, they fight for your benefits. It was pretty much what I was told at that time. But, I, you know, I didn't realize how vital Cynic is. A lot of people do not realize how vital Cynic is. It's because of this organization that a lot of the benefits and raises that state employees get is because of Cynic lobbying for them, working for them, pushing the envelope to ensure that the state employee are covered. One of the things that, you know, that touched my heart was just to be able to 
come to one of the Senate conventions and to see so many people gather together for the common goals of state employees was something that sparked my interest. And ever since then, I've been a part of Senate. I've been advocating for Senate. I've been, you know, working with the legislation as far as how things are, are set up. And I guess, you know, I can kind of give a, a quick overview. You know, when I started at Senate, I, I was part of the district, came in, you know, I was appointed to be the treasurer, went through that process, became vice chair, became the chair for for the district, which is District 25. I got to give a shout out to District, <laughs> district 25, <laughs> which is UNC. So uh, that's it. But um, but, you know, that really pushed me, had a lot of good people who who looked out for me as far as like, you know, I, I look at past President Stanley Drury, past President Jimmy Davis, past President Martha Fowler. They kind of mentored me and, and, and helped me come up the ranks. I started out as the treasurer of the organization at the state level. Then I was elected as the second VP, first VP, and, you know, now I'm the president. And I see great things happening with Scenic, and I know that we're going to keep pushing forward. We just have to be unified and work together for state employees. And my thoughts are, you know, if you're a state employee, join this organization because this organization is what stands up for you. They advocate for you every day. And that's the main thing that, that we really need to understand. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm going to get the benefit mm-hmm. anyway. Get, I'll get the raise anyway. But it takes, you know, it takes dedication. And I want to give a shout out to the staff, to you all, because you all work very hard for the people. And a lot of people don't understand that. Well, most of us came out of state government. That's how most of us got started. So really, if you've ever been a public employee, it's in you. You know Yes. how public employees, how vital they are. But you also know the respect level is not where it needs to be. And so it's an easy thing, I think, for most staff to really be able to dig into these issues and give them their all. But in your presidency, what do you want to see happen with scenic and with state employee, public employees in general? You know, one of the things that, that I really want us to think about is that some benefits have been cut. We have to advocate to try to bring back certain benefits that have been cut for state employees. It, we have had a very good relationship with the treasurer's office, Dale Falwell, and yeah. we have worked very hard with them to ensure that, you know, the retirement, the health plan, all those things are solvent to where the funds and stuff that state employees have put in over the years, as well as the legislation is covered. And that when you retire, you have a place to, to where you are secure and you know that you have your retirement coming because of all the years that you have dedicated to public service. We came to public service not because of the money. We came here because we want to provide a service to the citizens of the state. And so a lot of times we didn't get the pay that the private organizations got. But we understood that and we had benefits to help to help offset some of that. But those benefits are slowly being taken away. So what can bring a young person into, into public service now? I think that's the million dollar question because the vacancy rates are astounding everywhere. And and that's a very hard question. But in, in a sense, you know what you have, you have to have a heart for working for the public. And I think that we have a lot of young people who are looking, you know, into like environmental issues and things of that nature. And they can understand that they can make a difference if they come work for state government because they will be a part of that difference. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that, you know, we need to look at in detail. We we really need the younger people. We do. We want state employees to be a vital part for many years to come. And if the younger people don't come, then it's going to cause, you know, some delays as far as what can happen and even the possibility of privatization if we don't bring in the young people. Which would be fine. We've always been clear as an organization, privatization would be fine if you can show it's better for the public 
and long term saves money. But if you think about it for even a second, if I'm a business, I either have to report to my shareholders or to to whomever's in charge and show them I'm making them money. So how am I going to undercut what the state is spending to bare bones provide these services and make the kind of money people would expect out of me running the business? That's why privatization is never cheaper in the long run. It's just such a bad deal. But it is a fear that that's what the knee-jerk reaction will be. Well, we can't get people, so let's just privatize those services. And that would be disastrous for the people. And I agree totally. I mean, one of the things that we really have to think about in in that aspect of it is that you have people who who are there just to get a paycheck. They're not vested in what's happening inside of the the state government. They're not vested. They don't have an interest of having true public service. But being a state employee for 24 plus years when when I was working at the state, which now I'm at the municipality, but still public service, is that, you know, I had a heart for what I was doing. And it it made me feel that I had a purpose. And with that purpose, it allowed for me to continually work for the state and understand that I was helping the citizens of North Carolina. Yeah, I think that old perception that state employees are out there for four of us at one place, three of us leaning on shovels and doing nothing. That is, it's such an old cliche. Yeah. And and I don't even think people buy into that anymore. I think more and more the public absolutely understands what they're paying for when they pay their taxes. But what they're not paying for is sweetheart contracts Mm -hmm. with companies that they never know what they're doing. I mean, at least with state government, the public will know. They can know. It's all transparent. It's public record. Exactly. Well, do you have anything else you want to get into, Kurt? Um, No. um, Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. As I stated before, you know, I love Scenic. Scenic is in my heart, but I also love being a public servant and helping the people of the the state of North Carolina. Well, you make us proud and come back and tell us more like of the dirt around the whole. (laughs) I want coupons. Bring brisket too. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you you, so much. Thank you. All right, artists. So it was a great interview with uh, Kirk there, Mr. President Montgomery to us. He's a he's an interesting guy. He has an interesting job, too. He I is enjoy. very passionate about IT, and I'm so thankful somebody can be. You know, <laughs> I couldn't have ever understood IT enough to be in IT. Yeah. But it's really hard for me to fathom being super passionate about it. But thank goodness there's people that are. We've had our fill of IT talk for the last three years. Huh? Oh, really? gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've learned a lot about yes. infrastructure. So uh, just a few topics, I guess we can just kind of wrap up with here. Do you want to touch on a little bit about the weight loss issue? I know there was a, did we talk about the New York Times story? I think it had been out already. And It had, yes. The News and Observer had a story on Trailing Williams, who's a member who is affected by this. We've yeah, also seen she's things. very, in, very devastated by the fact that, that this is no, not available to her right now because of the yeah. apparently just very profound effect it had on her life. Yeah. Also, there was a Wall Street Journal editorial about that. And there was Treasurer Falwell was on CNBC talking about it. I did watch that interview. That was pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's huge news. It should be huge news. So we also heard from Novo Nordisk. Uh, they finally came out with, with a statement. What was their, their thoughts so, so, matter. Yes, they said the state, the health plan board of trustees decision not to pay the, you know, four or five times the cost of what the drug is anywhere else in the world, which because the board said they can't or the health plan will not be sustainable in a couple of years. But they called that decision irresponsible and urged the treasurer and the health plan board to put patients first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that makes sense to someone at Novo Nordisk, but make that make sense to the the average person in North Carolina or in the United States in general. When you are selling this drug at a fraction of the price everywhere except in America, 
because you can, Mm -hmm. and you consider that putting us first. Now, it means we're going to have to give somewhere else. We're going to end up having to pay more for our own health care if we keep paying your inflated America prices, the special America prices on the drug. But that's putting us first. Yeah. No one's going to buy that. I'm trying to do the mental gymnastics in my head about that one. So they're just they're really not putting patients first themselves when they charge these outrageous. I mean, profit is very, very that's the only thing that is doing well in this equation right now. Yeah. Charging this outrageous price, bullying insurance companies or in, or plans, health plans, to pay. And they're apparently fairly successful because, look, I mean, we, we have a PBM hired by the state to negotiate for the health plan. So when you ask, John, what in the world could, what could they have possibly meant, put patients first, when, when they're doing this to patients? No telling. But you uh-huh. know what? Why don't we make the invitation right here and right now? Novo Nordisk, we'd love to have you on this podcast. We will not be mean to you, but welcome. Come on. Come on the podcast and explain how what you're doing and what you want is in any way good for public employees who, by the way, are some of the lowest paid people you will find anywhere paying the highest prices anywhere. Yeah, we know you were one of our 179 listeners last month. <laughs> you might have been. Or you don't know. Come okay. on here. Well, well, well if, if you know Novo Nordisk, and you are one of the 179 <laughs> listeners last week. Ask them. Tell them they're welcome to come on here. And CVS Carebark as our PB, if they want to come on and explain. Because we don't get it. I also see here that Novo Nordisk has increased the supply of Wegovy, which it says will allow more people to start taking it. Well, of course the supply is going to increase because we're not the only health plan that has said they're not going to cover it anymore in recent months. This has happened to them in multiple places because guess what? No health plan can sustain that yeah. the way it's going. So so I got a, a B plus in Economics 10 at Carolina. Okay. So Econ 10, everyone will remember that class. So I do know that when you increase the supply, should, shouldn't the price go down, right? Because no, I think you had to go beyond Econ 10 to learn. <laughs> never, never let simple supply and demand go. <laughs> <laughs> Just focus on the demand and try to find, you know, somebody else, somebody else's fault that it is that your price is so out of reach. Yeah, I, I think I tweeted that something to, to that effect uh, to Sam and, and the treasurer on our account, on our Twitter account. And yeah. Sam was like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. So. Well, and, you know, we're sitting here laughing not to cry, basically, because <laughs> it's so serious and you have to find the humor at moments. But it is really sobering to to hear from especially one of the ones that struck me the most was a tweet from a mom yesterday. Mm hmm who has a teenager, and she said, just cold turkey not having something that you me- medically need. And what else does that start affecting? Your self-confidence, everything else, and just how devastated that whole family is in this situation. It's it's so serious. Yeah, and I don't know. The research has been done on people who come off of medicines like that. You know, it could really Evidence. cause some terrible things we don't know no about talent. yet. So. I, you know, but it's, it's a serious, serious issue. And so, in mm-hmm. all seriousness, if anybody from the people PBM or from Nova Nordisk would want to come on here. I, I think it's without question we'd be happy to discuss this rationally. All right, since we we did breach the topic of uh, Bucky's and we do travel a whole lot going to uh, from North Morganton to Asheville to Greenville to Manio to Murphy to Manio. Remember that Up whole to Elizabeth City sometime? Yeah, all over Murphy <laughs> to Manio. Remember that? So, what is a good place that you like to stop on your travels throughout the state? Piedmont Triad Farmer's Market, oh, just outside okay. of Winston. 
That's cool. I think it's in Culp. What do they have there? Well, I mean, obviously they have fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Which this podcast highly recommends, but there's <laughs> yummy stuff. Not that fruits and vegetables aren't yummy, but they have yummy homemade things. They have vendors that, that make things. It's, it's an interesting place and it's nice. You know what place I've always wanted to stop at or just figure out, I guess? My, my wife is from Wilson. And so we travel down that way. I think this place is a little farther east. Uh, it's called something like Nahunta. Oh, yeah, the pork. Por- pork. Yeah. And you see these billboards everywhere? Uh, yeah. Like, what is that place? It's so amazing. It's. <laughs> It's like a, it's kind of like widely advertised. Yeah. So I need to stop in there. I think that would be stop and come report back. The Nahunta Port Center or something Uh, like that. I'm probably pronouncing those terribly. Yeah. I have no idea how you're supposed to. (laughs) People need to help us educate us on that. But my favorite stop on all of North, well, it may not even be North Carolina actually is the south of the border. I guess it's not North Carolina, right? Mm, On the way to the beach. Yeah. So that's my favorite roadside attraction in the area (laughs) until the Bucky's open. In, in Mebane, and then that'll be my favorite. And so. now, see, we have come full circle. We're back to Bucky. <laughs> so, did you watch the Super Bowl? Of course, I watched the Super Bowl. A, I'm from Texas originally. Oh, okay. Everything's football. Yeah. B, you'd have to be under a rock not to have watched the Super Bowl this year. So, what high school did you go to? Well, I went to high school in Raleigh, Broughton oh, High School. Oh, okay. That's right. Go Caps. I was trying to tee you up to talk about your awesome Texas football experience oh, because no, uh, it's just on every television everywhere in the state of Texas yeah. at all times. Patrick Mahomes is from Texas, right? So, yeah, it was quite a game. I was pulling for the 49ers because I wanted to see McCaffrey win after oh, yeah. years and years of languishing in Carolina. So. There were several <laughs> former Panthers out on that field. It yeah. was kind of heartbreaking to yeah. watch. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a terrible game for the longest time. And then it ended up being a really exciting game at the very end and that was fun hey kind of reminds me of the way the ncaa tournament and basketball has gone a few times like the last three minutes oftentimes get i'm excited about that super yeah so several t-swift yes was your daughter able to stay up late enough we went to my cousin's house and she went to play with my cousin's daughter but she wanted to come for the halftime show so they they came down and watched after that but i kept showing her clips on tiktok and things of, of taylor walking in in the building and things like that. So. Oh, well, you know, I kept seeing social media posts about dads and their daughters. Yeah. And how literally, whether you love Taylor Swift or you hate her. Yeah. And it's amazing <laughs> to me. Anybody would have such profound feelings either way. But it's a thing that has literally brought a yeah. lot of bonding together mm-hmm. between dads and daughters around, you know, something that's been more conventionally dad-like football. Yeah. Although there's plenty of moms out there who are football fanatics. So yeah. it's nice. Yeah. I was surprised how interested my wife and daughter were. And they, they were big Chiefs fans this year. And I was I was kind of pulling for San Francisco. So Oh, yeah. The Chiefs got a lot. A lot of a lot of fans this year who probably couldn't tell you the conference the Chiefs represented, you know. And yeah. So, but that's that's okay. It's a, look, football's one of our American pastimes, yeah. and the more the merrier. Watching football and participating in the madness of the Super Bowl. I, I thought Usher did a pretty good job. Did you watch the halftime? I did. Usher did. I mean, look, Usher took everybody back to uh, the their middle and, school yeah. and high school <laughs> days. From what I, what I could see on social media, people were absolutely yeah. relating to everything he did except his hug 
of Alicia Keys. Oh, a there's a little of, tension there or something. Well, a lot of people, yeah, thought Swiss Beats would be kind of oh, hurt. Oh, okay. Yeah, they made a little eye contact. I was, I was kind of, <laughs> see, I watch these we things. We look for drama everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. That's And yeah. I think that's why football is so popular. Yeah. It is the most drama thing it is. ever. I mean, it's clearly just like a soap opera, like for real. Oh, it is. It's like a male soap opera. It is. I told, I told my son when he was playing High school football, this is so drama. Yeah. And yet men love to run around talking about how women are all drama. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I think my favorite commercial was the Dunkin' Donuts commercial. It was the best. That was yeah. so funny. It was Ben Affleck being funny again. Yay. Yeah, that was awesome. So the Chiefs, I guess they're a dynasty now. Are we? That's the argument. Like, are they a dynasty? I don't know why people are trying to hold them back from that because it sure yeah. seems like they've become a dynasty but yeah i mean patrick mahomes is now matched with troy aikman yeah who famously said in 2019 talk to me when you have a third as many super bowl rings as i do and he does now he (laughs) has exactly the amount of super bowl rings troy aikman had yeah so you are a big football fan i am i didn't know that i love it that's awesome it's drama we have something to talk (laughs) about it's like politics super bowl i mean (laughs) Football, Super Bowl particularly, but politics and football are drama. There you go. I love it. So you can get in my fantasy league next year. Well, oh my goodness, that would be a hoot. <laughs> yeah, I think they're. I mean, they're going to probably win next year, year, year after that, and then maybe they'll quit they and might, let somebody yeah. else win. Maybe the Panthers will win one year. I doubt it, but we're going to put that in the universe, though. 